It is Allie Mack here, and we have another episode of Chasing Wellness. Now, we've all been working from home or quarantining, and communication with coworkers and bosses, it's just been very, very different recently because we've had to get on Zoom calls. We've had to get on Microsoft Teams calls. um, And it's all just so foreign to us since we're so used to having conversations in person. So for today's episode of Chasing Wellness, I have Clint Paget. He is CEO and president of Project Success, Inc. He is a Forbes Books author of the upcoming book, How Teams Triumph, Managing by Commitment. And overall, just a well-versed guy when it comes to communication. And will probably solve all your future marital work friend issues with this one statement. We judge ourselves based off of our intentions. If I intend to do some work today, then I give myself credit for that, even if the work never actually happens. We judge everyone else based on what actually did happen. I mean... Think about that. Next time you get into a fight with your spouse or significant other, remember that statement. We're judging them on what actually happened. They're judging you on what actually happened. Not intent. Anyway, Clint is just so well-versed in communication. I think he can be a huge asset to all of us right now as we're navigating this, I hope not new normal, but probably new normal. It's all coming up in Chasing Wellness. It's Chasing Wellness with Allie Mack because... I'm not an expert, but if you say something is healthy, I'll try it. Whether it's fitness, vanity, food, health fads, I'm all over them. I am an all or nothing kind of person. So I'm constantly striving to be better and chasing wellness. Clint, thank you so much for being here. Can you give us a little bit of your background? Sure, Uh, I have a electrical engineering degree from Georgia Tech and an MBA from Duke University. Cut my teeth at Coca-Cola. I spent about six and a half years there in their engineering group. And over the last 25 years, I've been working the Project Success, doing project management globally. We have been going through some weird times in the work situation with the coronavirus pandemic going on. And everyone is doing all these Zoom calls and everyone is going through these video conferencing things to have their meetings. But do we lose anything when we have video conferences when we do that versus in-person meetings you really do i mean i certainly you want to take advantage of the technology that's out there for us to use today this is certainly better than just email or phone calls but there is something about face-to-face interaction that drives conversations and clarity that doesn't happen even through zoom calls even with a zoom call i can only see a portion of you maybe just your face that's if you actually have the camera turned on. Otherwise, all I might see is your picture up there. So I'm not really sure if you're engaged. I'm not sure if you're paying attention. But if I can see your entire body, like I could face-to-face, I could see if you seem to be bored because you're drumming your fingers or, you know, uh, you're yawning or you're rolling your eyes. These are things that I can't always see on a Zoom call because not all of you is, is visible to me. So I do think you lose some of that interaction that can take place when you do have things face-to-face. So is it better than just a phone call? Yeah, because I can see some of you, but it's still not quite as as rich or as robust as having those face-to-face contacts. And, you know, today we kind of have Zoom fatigue, right? We have so many things going on, so many Zoom meetings. And what I find is, I mean, I've actually had some sessions that we we were on Zoom for eight hours straight. Wow. But if if we're doing that live face-to-face, then – 
you know, here in the house and I'm on a Zoom call for that long, I put the headphone down and I go get some coffee and I come back. And that's a solo activity. I'm 100% by myself when I do that. But if you and I were having, instead of a Zoom call, we were actually having a meeting at our office, then you might accompany me to get coffee. And that's another 10 minutes I get to know a little bit more about you and establish a relationship with you. That's not going to happen when we just do Zoom calls. I just got back in the building this week, and it's so much better just based on the technology, like working for a radio station in general. So much better to be in studio. But so we have these now. Um, precautions. Like if I go in the hallway, I have to put my mask on. So it's, it's strange because I've been seeing everyone via zoom and now I go in the hallway and I can't see anyone's face and you're trying to have these conversations. (laughs) I feel like even that is lacking. (laughs) It really, you know, it really is. I saw an article on fast company. I think it was, well, I I don't want to say the name because I don't want to get it wrong, but one of the big uh, real estate firms and their Amsterdam office, I think it was in the Netherlands, they have set up what they call a six-foot office, which basically all the furniture is arranged in such a way that no one ever gets within six feet of each other, to the point where they actually have color-coded the carpet so there's a six-foot circle around the person's chair. So you can, so now you know if you're within that person's six-foot perimeter. And I thought to myself, is that really the world that I want to go back to where I only see other people as germ carrying contagions and not an actual human being? Yeah, I know. We have this like tattletale culture kind of going on here too, where it's like uh, so-and-so wasn't wearing their mask in the hall. (laughs) 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 I mean, I much prefer to be in the building, but we're, we're still getting through this. (laughs) No, there's definitely some mass shaming going on. I see for sure. (laughs) Well, so, I mean, I feel like this has kind of been, you know, the pandemic sped up the process, but I kind of feel like this has been in the works slowly it just kind of pushed everything faster because everyone's been defaulting to like emails or texting instead of just picking up the phone and calling someone or going to their office and having a conversation why do you think we're kind of moving towards that i believe as human beings we like to have closure we like to check something off our to-do list i want to feel good about myself this morning so i'm going to check three things off and it's much easier for me to check something off my to-do list if i can just shoot you an email or send you a text, or maybe post something on JIRA, than if I pick up the phone and talk to you. Because if I talk to you, I might find out that it's actually not done, and I might leave that conversation with two additional items on my to-do list rather than getting rid of one. So I think we we take this safe approach of, let me just shoot this email, so now it's off my plate, and maybe I'll never hear from Allie again, and that's all a great thing, as opposed to picking up the phone saying, hey, here's what I did. Is that what you expected? Is that right? And I think in today's environment, because some people say we're never going to go back. I don't know that that's true. But let's say that a portion of people do never go back to the office and they do end up working from home. Then what that says is you need to put the ownership on yourself, the onus on yourself, to make certain that you're having clarifying conversations because you're back in your silo now and you're at your house. And it's just too easy to, to get ensconced in that and that, uh, you know, that, that net of, of by myself, and now I just shoot emails and text messages, and they're not truly asking the hard questions and having the conversations that really clarify things. Yeah, I think there are, like, different kinds of people when it comes to the working from home situation, because um, there are some companies that are already saying, like, hey, stay home. If you like it, go for it. Like, Twitter, I think, said so. And I have some friends yep. right now that have the choice to go in or stay home, and they're staying home, and I'm like, uh, that's just not going to work for me because I felt this weird pressure like if an email came in or a text came in like i got to get back to it right now so everyone knows i'm working and i feel like 
only some people feel that working from home. Yeah, I think that there's been some, some talk about productivity levels have gone up, people working from home. And I got to tell you that my experience in my career has not been that's the case. So I wonder if the productivity has gone up because the people that are able to work from home are just so happy they have a job that uh, they want to make sure they kill it. Um, I just find that people tend to get distracted when they work from home. And But then again, you know, if you work from home, there are no business hours. Now you can work at 4 o'clock in the morning or, or 10 o'clock at night. It doesn't really matter as long as you're getting your job done. But, you know, one of the things you have to also be careful of, again, I'm a big observer of human nature, is the idea behind intentions, right? So one's intentions are to do well and to do good. There was a study done back in, a uh, survey done back in the 90s by U.S. News and World Report, and the question posed to a group of people was, give me the, the percentage chance that this person gets into heaven. And I think, uh, so it was 1997, I believe the survey was done, and so Bill Clinton, 52% chance of getting into heaven, and Hillary, 55%. All the way to Oprah Winfrey, I think, got 65%. Mother Teresa got 76% chance of getting into heaven. So only 76%. One person scored higher than Mother Teresa, and that was the person being surveyed. (laughs) The person being surveyed gave themselves, on average, an 87% chance of getting into heaven. So they thought they had a better shot than Mother Teresa. And I thought about that, and I thought, why would that be? And I realized just because as individuals, we, we judge ourselves based off of our intentions. If I intend to do some work today, then I give myself credit for that, even if the work never actually happens. We judge everyone else based on what actually did happen. So I don't really care what your intentions were, Joe Schmuck. You didn't do it, so that's all I know. Whereas me, I had really good intentions. I just got sidetracked. And that's what we can. That's another trap we can fall into, particularly when we're isolated in a remote world. Is these uh, these intentions? I intend to get things done, and it just never seems to happen. Yeah, with all the distractions at home, do you think like with those intentions, burnout kind of happens a little bit quicker when you're working from home? I do because there's no clear starting bell and ending bell. I right. mean, like I happened to wake up this morning at 4:30, and then just got up and started working because that's just what I, you know, that's what I did. But I might work until 11 o'clock tonight, and so. You need boundaries, I think. Otherwise, you can get burned out because it's just nonstop. There's something always going on. And maybe you add it all up. Maybe you only actually worked eight eight or nine hours, but you spread it out across 14. It feels like you worked 14. Yeah, that's one thing I'm I'm very grateful for this week is when I came back in, you know, I got an email my first day back, probably an hour after I left the station saying, hey, can you record this commercial? And I thought, you know what? I get to wait until tomorrow to do that because now I have my work-life balance back and I can just do <laughs> my normal hours and I don't feel that weird pressure of anyone thinking like I'm not working while I'm at home. Right. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, like with Twitter and everything saying, you know, work from home if you want to. Do you think a lot of companies are going to follow suit? I think it'll be a mixed bag. I think that some people will never come back. I I do think there are certain jobs that just lend themselves to needing collaboration. And I don't think that you're going to be able to have remote silos uh, that get established and get that kind of work done. There's something that just happens organically when people are working together in the same in the same room, let's say that I don't think you're going to get the same richness of thought and the same richness of work product. But I do think there are some jobs that, hey, you can do them remotely, you can work from home, and they may never come back. But I probably wouldn't give up my commercial real estate license just, just yet.
<laughs> so for those people that are, you know, companies are like, well, it's it's working with people working from home. Let's save some money on space and say everyone can work from home. For those people, what do you recommend as far as like clear communication? Because I know there's been a ton of emails that have been misinterpreted during this whole time. Yeah, that's always a concern I have is how do you read tone, right, in an email? Yeah. I mean, I may, I may send off an email to, to one of my team, and it's a very innocuous, it was no ill intent, and they take it in a bad, maybe they're in a bad mood, or I use the word that, that's a trigger for them, and I don't realize it, and all of a sudden, they read the tone of my email as being something I did not intend. And it's much easier for those kind of things to happen when you send just use short text-based communications that you're better off having a conversation around. So to me, you know, I actually, in my book, I have a chapter called Communicate Like a Person, Not an Emoji. Okay, and I have this theory that civilization has kind of come full circle. I think back to the earliest communication we did was in the cave person days. If I wanted to tug, you know, basically tell the rest of my tribe, hey, let's go, let's go get dinner, let's go out and kill a woolly mammoth, I would draw a woolly mammoth and chalk on the wall with a spear and grunt and point outside, right, to tell everybody, let's go, let's go hunt. And then we had um, spoken word. And so for eons, the way we passed knowledge from generation to generation was sitting around a campfire, and the elder would tell stories that would pass this knowledge down to the younger people, and then the younger people became the elders. They would do the same thing to the newer generation, and we passed down information that way for years and years. Then we developed written word, and we had these massive novels that had been written. And then I think it was around 1980, uh, it was in the 80s, uh, sorry, 79 I think it was, the, inter- the uh, email got invented. And now it wasn't really popularized until the advent of Internet, which mm-hmm. was a little bit later in the 80s. And then all of a sudden the Internet came out and the email became, and then in 2006 you had Twitter, which says if you can't say it in 140 words, apparently you can't say it. And around that same time in Japan they, they uh, developed emojis. And I thought to my and so I observed a group of individuals recently who were all standing in a circle facing each other, but they were all looking down at the device in their hands, and they were easy, you know, quickly typing away. And I even imagined they were having a conversation amongst the, the four of them. They just weren't doing it verbally. And I thought, you know, now it seems like we've come full circle. In the old days, I would draw a picture on the wall and grunt and point outside, and now it's grunt, grunt, and I send you a smiley face or a thumbs up, right? And so it comes back to interpretation. How do I interpret a smiley face? I can interpret it that, you know, you're a happy employee. I can interpret it that um, you're, it's, 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 you're, you're gonna, you are cheerfully going to get the work done today. Or if I was a negative person, I might interpret it in, in a way that says, ha-ha, I'm never doing this task. You just don't know it yet, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think we have to have conversations. And when I was doing the research for the book, I actually was incorrect in my definition of communication. I thought communication was an exchange of information and where we'd have a dialogue. And that's actually not the definition of communication. Communication can indeed be a one-way communication, meaning I send you a text message, I shoot you an email, I post something on JIRA or some other collaboration tool, and I am by definition communicating. The problem is what I'm not doing is having clarifying conversation. Did you ever play the game when you were a kid called Telephone? Yes. All right, so when you play that game, for those of you who don't know what it's called, like in, in the U.K., I think it's called Chinese Whispers, but here we call it Telephone. And so there's, you know, five or six people in a row, and the first person whispers a secret in the person, second person's ear, and they whisper it on down the line. 
And, of course, what happens is what comes out of the last person is not remotely close to the secret they got told to the first person. Right. And that's because each individual person communicated their interpretation of what they heard. And what they were not allowed to do was ask clarifying questions, which would be a conversation. Whereas if each person got to say to the previous person, what does that mean? What was that word again? How did you mean go here? Do you mean go there? They would get a very crystal clear definition of what it was that the person intended. And then what comes out of the last person's mouth is going to be very close to what came in went into the first person's ear. So I think if you have clarifying conversations where you ask questions, ask follow-up questions, then you use all of your electronic means as a great follow-up tool. So you and I might have a conversation today, and then tomorrow morning I shoot you a quick email saying, hey, that thing we talked about yesterday, Allie, it's done. It's out on the server. And that's, that's it. I don't need to have another conversation. But you need to, you need not to default just electronics. You need to have the, the face-to-face or through Zoom or phone call, some kind of communication which is the oral exchange, which is the conversation. Zoom plus email is probably the best way for anyone working from home to move forward. (laughs) I think so. And don't be afraid to pick up the phone. It's interesting that you said we've gone like full circle with the caveman. Do you think then we'll make another lap around? Will we eventually burn out of this work from home thing and people will realize productivity is probably not the best that way? Again, I think there are some jobs that may never come back to the office. Um, I do think the pendulum will swing the other way, though. I do think we'll come back closer to what we were. Maybe it doesn't go all the way back, but, you know, it's actually, if you think back a couple hundred years ago, it's how it was anyway. Everybody was kind of working for themselves, either on a farm or or I was a tailor or I I dyed stuff for a living or I did my one one person, you know, what we call side gigs now was my my own thing. And then with the Industrial Revolution, we started working in factories and office spaces, and so we've actually kind of almost come back to that one-on-one environment. But I do think it'll, it'll come back somewhat to the other way. I do think you're going to see people come together. You know, I've got a great example of why I think it's so powerful when we work together in an environment face-to-face as opposed to just doing remote work. So we do a lot of project management work. And one of our clients out in Silicon Valley, um, these two engineers have worked together for seven years virtually. You know, they, they live in different locations, so they've never actually met. But they worked on projects together for seven straight years and to so the way this works is the design engineer designs the product and a separate person needs to test it because the designer understands how it inherently works and has bias and you want the person that doesn't understand how it works to try to break it essentially and so for seven years they worked together and this conversation i'm about to tell you never happened until they were in a room face to face okay on a, on a side, on a, they were having like a sidebar conversation, so they weren't even a part of the overall, at that moment, the project was being planned by some different people up front, and they were having a side conversation. And the test engineer says to the design engineer, you know, if you change this one thing about your design, we could have cut our testing time by 30%. Now, that conversation could have happened at any point in the previous seven years, but never actually did until they were face-to-face in a room side-by-side. Because you don't get these organic conversations that come up on Zoom. It doesn't work that way, right? You can't have five different conversations going on at once. If you do, it's a nightmare. Yeah. These organic conversations do come up when you tend, you tend to work together in a group setting. So I do think it will come back some. I do think some people will be able to stay home. And while I don't, I don't enjoy the concept of that six-foot office, what I do hope comes out of this is maybe they, maybe they develop better air filtration systems. So that if uh, somebody does cough, it doesn't, 
you know, go six feet to me, maybe get sucked into some filtration system, or maybe what people have learned is I don't have to come to the office and make everybody else sick. I can work from home and be productive and not spread the disease. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's the best outcome out of all of this because we did have that, you know, work through it. You're tough if you work through your sickness vibe going on before. Of course, that's your your badge of honor, man. I was sick. I had 104 temperature and I still came to work. And the rest of us are going, "Yeah, you made other people sick. Stay home." Right? <laughs> now it's I think now it's going to be acceptable to be able to say, "I'm going to stay home today and work." Clint, when uh, did your book How Teams Triumph Managing by Commitment come out? It should come out in late August. Okay, cool. And what what can we expect from it? It is very team-centric, team-focused. It's all about individuals pulling together for greater success as a, as a team. So the whole, it's all about how to have conversations. And I actually wrote it ostensibly for engineers, people with technical backgrounds. Because what I've learned in my, in my career is, and being an engineer, I could talk bad about us because I am one. You know, the part of our brain that makes us really good with math sometimes seems to take over the part of the brain that has social skills. And so what I discovered was these people that were really good at math often get promoted to be project managers, and yet they don't have the skills, and sometimes nor do they have the desire to actually want to talk to the people on their team. Or if they do want to talk, they just don't have the tools to do it. So the intent was to remind people that, that in project work, people matter. The people on the team matter. And you have to treat them with respect. You have to treat them. It has to be their project because most of the world today works in a matrix. And in a matrix, I don't own the people on my project team. They report to their manager for for pay raises and job reviews, and they're dotted line to my project. And, oh, by the way, for other projects. Not only do I not own the people on my team, I'm competing for their time. And so one of the ways that I can be successful as a project manager in that environment is if the individual team members take the onus on themselves for accountability and commitment. And so this really, that whole book is really about how do you empower the people on your team to take ownership, to have responsibility, and make the project theirs so that in the end, the entire team wins. It's how teams triumph managing by commitment. Well, Clint, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure, Allie. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. You too.